podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Congratulations. You've just been handed a huge new opportunity. Bravo. With it comes the need for new skills. Skills you'll need to master in short order. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you develop the hard and soft skills it takes to succeed in new roles. This is your chance. Go. Start by going to hbs.me slash go. That's hbs.me slash go. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Manager Madrid podcast. We are in a beautiful park with the great Alex Kirkland of Real Madrid TV. Alex, welcome to the show. Hello, mate. Thanks for having me on. Um, we are here to talk about all things Real Madrid, the crisis, uh, wonky stats, Real Madrid's historical woes in terms of their scoring, um, and also the fact that after a lot of hard work unearthing the stat that Real Madrid haven't scored in X amount of time, what was it? Uh, so literally everybody yesterday at the Bernabeu was absolutely convinced because it had been widely reported, not just in one paper or one radio session, but everybody was saying uh, that Real Madrid, if they went 55 minutes without scoring yesterday, that would be the longest ever non-scoring run. It then turned out it wasn't. Uh, it, it was the second longest ever non-scoring run because someone had mislaid uh, 30 minutes of extra time that were played against the Athletic Club back in the back in uh, 85. Anyway. It wasn't, in the end, the longest ever non-scoring run, and we all looked a bit silly. So two things uh, stick out to me about that stat. One is only one person on earth has the patience to go in and find out the correct and go through all the minutes, and that's Mr. Chip. Well, yeah, so Mr. Chip is the king of stats, but yeah. he himself was the one who got it wrong initially. Oh, okay. So he then rectified it, but he initially had oh, given Oh, full the, circle. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. He, the other he held thing, his hands up. And, what was the half-hour extra time thing about? That's incredible. Uh, so it was, uh, it was Real Madrid Athletic Club in the Copa del Rey, and okay. it was a game that, um, that, that went to extra time, and seemingly uh, okay, people okay. had looked at the games and just gone 90 minutes, yeah. 90 minutes, 90 minutes, and added it up without checking that that cup game went to extra time. Also, also the fact that, I mean, all these injury time minutes, like, do they count that? Apparently, no, no. I don't, apparently, I don't think you do, because theoretically, those are minutes that haven't been played during the 90, because there have been stoppages during the 90 minutes, if you know what I mean. It, it, it's all very complicated. I don't think we should get hung on it, up on it too much. <laughs> Look, the fact remains, Real Madrid did go an awful long time without scoring a goal until Marcelo's goal yesterday. Yeah, and that's a huge problem. So we'll get to Marcelo. Uh, to me, I thought he was one of the bright spots yesterday. Mm. You and I were both at the Bernabeu yesterday. We chatted at halftime. We had a quick chat at halftime. Yeah. I, was, I was feeling a little bit sorry for you afterwards, thinking yeah. about the fact that you had flown across the Atlantic to be there, yeah. while I had just uh, walked 10 or 15 minutes from home. Yeah. But uh, as you were saying, look, you're in a privileged position nonetheless. Win, lose, or draw, yeah. you'd rather be there, right? We're, we're, we mentioned this off air, is that the, my worst case scenario is I watch Real Madrid lose, suffer some historical goal-scoring droughts, and then I come in a beautiful park and I talk about football I mean, look, sometimes... I mean, what a, yeah, what an <laughs> idyllic scenario. Sometimes, I don't know, you know, there's that old cliche about learning more from defeat than from victory. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know if that's true, 
But I think that from a, those of us who like, who write about or talk about and, and watch a lot of Real Madrid or any other team, sometimes you can kind of pick a lot out of a, a defeat, maybe more than a victory. That doesn't mean you want your team to lose. Of course it doesn't. But you can get a lot from it. I'll be quite honest. As a journalist, this is where we make our money. Because it's like, as soon as something goes wrong, that's when we get well, the spike in traffic. E- it's sometimes easier to write about, isn't it? Like, sometimes it's not easy. Like, if you've just won a game, like, I don't know, 5-0 at home, there's not often not a lot to say about that other than, you know, everything was great. Again, there's often a lot more to say when things aren't quite going according to plan. There are, but I would be more than happy writing about Champions League yeah. dynasties for the rest of I my know, life. I know, I uh, know. But, I mean, this is the nature, uh, you know, of the club we support. I mean, I know you're an Arsenal supporter, but I know deep yeah, down you have not a the na- It's not the nature of the club I support, <laughs> uh, believe me. Would, I mean, imagine if Arsenal had won four and five Champions League trophies. I can't even begin to imagine it. Yeah, but this, like, this, I mean, like, what, what are we really complaining about? Ar- Arsenal life? have won nine games in a row, and I'm on, they look I'm, good. And I'm on cloud nine. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that. Forget, forget the European Cup. They look great right now. Um... <laughs> Uh, but back to your point, uh, you, after a defeat like this, you, you walk 10 minutes, you go home, you indulge in a pint of ice cream. I have to take <laughs> you, know, a, you know me so well. I have to take an eight-hour flight home. Yeah. Um, that's the difference. But, um, you know, I, there are a lot of interesting talking points. As, at the time of this recording, Lopetegui is still in charge of Real Madrid. When you listen to this, he may or may not be. We don't know. There's a lot of speculation. Um, it, you know, I, I was looking forward to going down to the presser yesterday. Just, you know, out of curiosity to see how we would deal with it. You know, it was nothing was extraordinary to me. There was a lot of talk about, you know, the job security is not on my mind at all. And uh, same thing as always, missed chances. Um, the goals will have to come at some point. We need to find solutions and attack. So there, there are so many angles to look at this from. I think in a lot of ways he's right. He's right. There are certain things that he can't control. There are certain things that he obviously can. And, and maybe in those situations, he hasn't done a great job. But if we're talking about um, attacking a manager, which I know you can't really talk about, but if that does happen, which it does seem in a way inevitable, it's incredibly harsh when you look at it. I think that there are a lot of kind of intersecting reasons why Real Madrid have been on this, this bad run. Of course, everyone knows it's a, it's a bad run. Lopetegui knows it, the players know it, the, the board know it. And fans, you know, fans get angry and I understand why they do and there was some whistling yesterday at the, the Bernabeu but let's, sure. let's not forget the players get angry the board gets angry the coach gets angry all these guys are winners they are used to winning lots of things all the time and when they don't they do not like it believe me they, they feel it just as just as much but no I think there's a lot of reasons I think that some players have had dips in form and those dips in form have kind of coincided I think that the a couple of injuries in the recent weeks have been quite unfortunate and have left key players out of the out of the team at just the wrong time um, I think that football, I think we underestimate sometimes the extent to which confidence plays a role in football. And when a team is on a negative run of, of, of not scoring goals, it does become almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it gets harder and harder yeah. and harder to yeah. break that, yeah. that duck. I think that part of it as well is something that a lot of people have talked about and remarked upon, which is that the, the overall level of La Liga overall is higher than ever in that there aren't many easy games. Levante are a pretty good team. Alaves are a very good team. Alaves, we like, have season. confirmation now. Yeah, that yeah, they, yeah. There's yeah. enough sample size to know they're good. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of good teams. No team is going to go and win the league this year with 100 points or 90 points or even probably 80 points. We're seeing every single team at the top dropping dropping points. So I think that's, an, that's another reason. I think all, all these things together are, are part of the reason why Real Madrid have been on this, this run. It is a little bit 
mystifying when you look at the number of chances they're they're creating. I mean, they're not all clear cut chances, but you look at the game yesterday. What they hit the bar, hit the woodwork three times. Yeah. Right. Had a had a goal disallowed for a marginal offside. Um, you know, we're talking about pretty fine margins here, and, and things could have gone differently. But look, there's no doubt that yeah, everyone accepts this run hasn't been good. Um, if we go back to last season, we had this. We, I remember having similar discussions in terms of Real Madrid just couldn't score. It was never to this bad. Um, but it was the same storyline, underperforming our expected goals. Last season, um, we had so many chances that just weren't going in. And, you know, it was the same responses from Zidane. You know, we we're playing well, we just need the ball to go in and the goals will come. That was the response the whole season until they finally came. In the Champions League, we knew they'd come. Uh, in La Liga, they eventually bounced back, although they never really looked um, quite great in La Liga overall. This season... Um, uh, there were two games that I think were just bad. One was the game in Sevilla. Second half was a bit better. And then the game against Alaves, where as good as Alaves have been under Abelardo, yeah. Real Madrid just created nothing. Like, it was nothing happening. Um, yesterday, I, I was shocked when I looked back at the stats because maybe I was just so jarred by how bad they played in the first half. Whereas, like, second half, I was like, no matter what they do, it's just this is a bad result. It's a bad performance. Second half... After it was all said and done, I went back and looked at the stats. The expected goals were 4.22, which mm. is a crazy number. Yeah. They held Levante to 0.83, I think it was, you know, if you take their penalty out of the equation. Um, they, they had a lot of shots, three, three posts, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I thought in the, in the second half, as you say, especially, when um, Benzema came on, I thought Benzema was actually good yesterday. Yeah. I quite liked him playing on the left-hand side. I think he caused a lot of problems. Benzema on the left, Mariano through the middle. Mariano was just looking to get on the end of anything and everything that was thrown into the box. You had Bale uh, on the right-hand side. It was it was a very attacking team in that in that second half. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think they did more than enough, not just to score the one goal they did score, but to at least get a draw. And I don't know, because I think we're sort of conditioned, aren't we? Having watched Real Madrid for so many years, you basically always think they're going to turn it around. And you always think that it'll be Sergio Ramos with a, a 93rd-minute winner or something. And yesterday, as it gets, the second half went on. I was still expecting that. I was yeah. still expecting that to, to happen because we've seen that script yeah. uh, played out so many times be, <clears throat> before. But yesterday, in the end, it, it just didn't happen. Um, one thing that what we, when everyone talks about Ronaldo, which is like such an obvious talking point that everyone brings up after each loss and each draw, um, one thing that I, I feel was underrated about him was not just his goals. It was his body language and his ability to pick up the team. Um, I like to me like one of the most famous examples was that penalty against Juventus in the last second when the team was down three nothing, and um, it, that that part was missing. I think there's the other way to look at it is like you have Isco on the pitch, Asensio, Bale, Benzema at some point like they they overlapped a bit and it's like as you mentioned they had a lot of attack. Um, you know you, there are times you look at the pitch and all four of those attackers are not even defending they're just staying up the pitch. That should be enough. And there's still a lot of big characters in that Real Madrid team. There are. You know, we talk about Ramos, you talk about someone like Luka Modric, who isn't a, a leader in the conventional sense, but he's a leader in terms of the way that he plays. Someone like Gareth Bale has become something of a leader in terms of the role that he plays in the in the team. So there's a lot of Marcelo's another one who did step up of course and score. So there are a lot of a lot of leaders in that in that team. I don't think it's a team that's that's lacking leadership in those kind of um, crisis situations sure. at all. Um, I wanted to start kind of circle back to Marcelo. I'm always happy to talk about Marcelo. Well, he's, he's just, every, you know, he had, after that Sevilla game, he was rightfully criticized for just defending was abysmal. Um, you really miss him offensively in 
take your pick, Moscow, Alaves. Um, there were games where Nacho played a left back against Atletico and against Alaves where he just didn't look confident offensively. Um, he does a lot of good things defensively. No one will ever, and that's not a knock on Nacho. This is Marcelo's arguably the greatest offensive wing back of all time. Like no one can do what he does. Yesterday he had seven key passes. It's like it's like messy level creativity. I think. I mean, I've been arguing for a few seasons now, consistently that I think that Marcelo and Danny Carvajal and Danny Carvajal can you can have the same conversation about are are probably Real Madrid's two most important players in terms of the, the way they create chances and the way they go forward. I'm talking about in attack, not in defence. Yeah. I'm saying they're most important in, in attack because of the role they play. And I do think that every time that you're missing one of them, or even more so both of them, I just think you really notice. And it's not to say that there aren't very able deputies, because like you say, Nacho, I think is fantastic. You know, Ojo Thola's coming now, and I think he's going to be a, a brilliant yeah. player in the, in the future. You know, there are other players there, but what Marcelo and Danny Carvajal contribute offensively in terms of opening up the pitch and giving width in those driving runs inside that Marcelo makes that just cause havoc in the in the opposition defence I just think they're so so important I don't think it's a coincidence that in the last couple of weeks Marcelo's had injury problems and, and so is Carvajal yeah um did Isco look after you like physically yeah I think he's not quite yeah, he's not he's 100% not, is he you, yeah. could, you, could, you could see that having come back I mean how unlucky is it to have I feel like Appendicitis. It's bad. I mean, any other you can take an injury that you get in the course of playing football. You can yeah. sort of expect that as a player as well. You must be like, oh come on. I was shocked when I saw him training as early as he was. I mean, I've and never. Have you ever? Have you had your, your appendix out? I my, never have. My but. sister has. I've had to watch her go through it, and it looked so terrible because it's like it's not just the the post surgery recovery. It's that you your organs have been shifted around. Yeah. You, you can't yeah, like yeah. physically exercise. Yeah. And when I saw him training on the Real Madrid Twitter feed, I was like, "What?" So I'm sure that I'm sure that he's not quite there 100 yeah. percent physically. And yeah, I agree. I think you could, I think you could see that. I think there was an understandable rush to bring him back because again, we've missed Isco, and I think especially for for Lopetegui's Real Madrid, just as for previously for Lopetegui's Spain. I think Isco is, is pretty much the, the main man in terms of creating things. So they want to get him back on the pitch as yeah, soon as course. possible. So here's, um, I, and I, I talked to a couple of journalists at the Bernabeu about this. You know, they were they were remarking that, do does is Lopetegui like kind of playing with fire in a, you know, basically a do or die game like this? He needs to um, play his best players. And, and obviously Kroos wasn't on the bench. And, and, you know, a couple of journalists argued also Vinicius Jr. should be there. And, you know, debatable, obviously, because we... Vinicius looks great with Castillo scores some Galassos, but we I don't know exactly how he's, that's going to translate. A, he scored a very nice free oh, kick today. Oh, you were today. there? Oh, I was commentating. commentating that game. I was yeah, commentating the game. The game. Was in Vigo. Yeah, yeah. I'll pour Vinicius. I fell for him today. You know, it was it was kind of what we've come to expect from uh, Vinicius in Segunda B already, which was uh, so. This was um, Castilla against uh, Celta Vigo B in Vigo. Yeah. Um, he got fouled. Yeah. Throughout the game, and it wasn't. He, they weren't like hacking away at him in a violent way, but it was quite cynical rotational fouling whenever he was about to break clear they'd tug him back they'd pull his shirt they'd knock him off his strides they'd take a yellow card and then the next time it would be a different player who got a yellow card and this went on and on and on throughout yeah. the game uh, he then scored a bloody brilliant it was it was gorgeous. right in the top corner it was gorgeous to make it one all and he then subsequently got uh, got sent off for um, arguing with the referee about a decision that didn't go his way and you just thought the guy's been fouled for like whatever it was like 88 minutes like non-stop and then he gets sent I mean, come on. So I, I've, I've been vocal about this in the past. And you know, you've, you've watched more Segunda Bay than maybe anyone on earth. I'm I, more, than, more than you probably should. It, yeah. It, I, I, that, and prop, props to you. I, I don't know how you do it. Because um, Castilla games can be, even Castilla games can be laboring to watch. 
Vinicius had added an element of like excitement to it. Yeah, star quality. But we know how rough that league is. Um, I feel it, it gets accentuated against Castilla because yeah, um, they're, they're all just like, who are these entitled kids who think they're better yeah, yeah, than yeah. us? They have more money than us. Well, I don't know. It, just, it, it gets really rough. And and especially with some of these young, talented players like Vinicius, like um, Erdegaard we've seen in, the, in yeah. the past. I actually think you notice when they do then get minutes with the first team, yeah. it's actually easier for them I always that, that's why I always thought when I was watching Vinicius and Castilla, I've, I've seen him make a lot of mistakes. Like we see the highlight reels we see are the free kicks and the golazos. Um, but in my head, I was like, he's not going to be making those poor mistakes with the A team because there's just a different standard and expectation. Where with Castilla, maybe he just feels like he's above everybody else. Well, he's and he's to do also, you know, let's let's be realistic. He's there, I think to make those mistakes and learn from them. Yeah. It's an adaptation process. I mean, Solari has said that in the past He's still too, a yeah. kid. He's still, yeah. a, he's still a kid. You know, with huge, huge weight of expectation on him. But he's with Castillo because they want him to get minutes. He wants to get minutes of competitive football as well. And it's better, let's be honest, that he makes those mistakes and learns from them at that, at that level than he does if he's, say, coming off the bench for the first team in a, in a crucial game. It's, that's yeah. all part of the plan. Yeah. I, I did not see that game. I chose to watch Raul de Tomas uh, with Raul, who scored a nice goal, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that, that, yeah. that's a justifiable yeah. uh, decision, I think. <laughs> um, I, that was a big digression, but I'm just, I think the point was, um, you know, just every, a lot of people thought like the players on the bench are players who didn't even make the squad should be getting more, more minutes. Um, I think the players, on, to me, the players on the pitch were, were all more than enough to get by Levante. And to me, that wasn't a huge problem. When you look at the great players making mistakes at the back or even coming out of the back, which to me are out of Lopetegui's control, the, the counter to that is, well, Lopetegui is the one who ultimately needs to motivate because if the coach can't motivate, who is it? Uh, I think that's easier said than done. I think Zidane had the same problem. The huge problem that Real Madrid had in the past two seasons and arguably throughout this entire reign that Barca have dominated domestically and Real Madrid just haven't capitalized um, and haven't looked good domestically apart from that 16-17 season. Mm. Uh, there's just no urgency to start games. And I don't know what it was, if it was Isco was out of shape or like just the passing, the body language to me was off until the subs in the second half and the hunger of Ceballos, Bale and Benzema just kicked in. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because you hear, time and time again, you hear coaches and players talking about the importance of starting these games yeah. in the right way, of talking about that, that intensity. Yeah. And then it doesn't necessarily translate and but like I say I think part of it is about the context when you're on a run like Real Madrid have been on I just think we underestimate like psychologically how difficult that is for players and how they feel kind of the uncertainty around them the atmosphere at the at the Bernabeu you know what it's like sometimes at the at the Bernabeu you know it's the greatest stadium in the world but sometimes when things aren't going the team's way you can feel that kind of that that nervous energy and that the expectation and the uncertainty and and the crowd sort of wanting and expecting kind of more for the from the from the team and players that even though they're like elite athletes and professionals they're, they're also human beings and I think they feel that that atmosphere and I think it must it must make a difference I think, I think part of it is that, that they're aware of that that dynamic and it's very very difficult to break out of it yeah I, I, I know I'm sure that it's not easy to on top of all of this to have the pressure of it, you can feel it right you can feel when the crowd just starts shuffling in their seats, they start moaning, and that 
I'm sure cuts through the players because everyone's like there's all of a sudden the pressure goes from like you know just like a, a floor to like a ceiling oh 100 yeah. percent yeah yeah and, and you know that's why it's frustrating sometimes I think when you hear the crowds uh, whistling certain players because I understand it I understand the frustration but it doesn't help yeah and certainly not during the game like I get if you want to whistle or or boo or whatever I mean maybe do it at the final whistle or do it don't do it when the game is still there to be won that's something that both as a as a fan or as a, a journalist or whatever I've I've never quite understood you know I get as frustrated as as anybody but as but as a fan I've never I, I don't know I, my philosophy has always been during the game you're in the stadium support the team 100% all the way then afterwards you know you can shout and scream and make a fuss and whatever but I, I think my approach has always been during the game support the team don't don't make it harder I, I just I, I think there there is no other choice that but but it seems like such an obvious thing to do right yeah but and it's also you know of course these things are to a certain extent cultural as well and it's different in different leagues and it's different at, at different clubs as well and we know that at the Bernabeu there is that sense of expectation and the demands are higher than they are elsewhere and that's you, you don't see it at the Emirates do you um, oh man I mean, I mean the Emirates isn't an example for any for anyone in terms of stadium uh, atmosphere because it's just I mean look I don't go as much as I used to I used to go every week I obviously don't go I only go once or twice a season now but it's, it's you, you have it's, to watch Castilla now yeah it's often quite dead so no let's not look to the Emirates as being a, a role model for, for, for anything at all um, there, there were two things that um, amid that somber conversation I had with you at halftime there were two things that I actually thought like were positive <laughs> it wasn't uh, too somber was it uh, no it was I mean you had interrupted me eating my, uh, my halftime book at it that, so if, if, my, that, if I looked if I looked somber it's probably just because I was thinking Come on, mate, let me finish no, my sandwich. After I went back to my seat, I was like, not only did Alex <laughs> watch that first half, now he doesn't, didn't eat his sandwich. Like, that was I mean, a, I had to race my way through the rest of it before yeah. the second half kicked off. Yeah. Um, two things that worked. I thought Levante just really couldn't deal with the set pieces and the crosses, mm. particularly the ones that Mariano was... Mariano gets to crosses that he has no business getting He's into. quite a good physical He's, presence, isn't yeah. he? Um, the other one was Marcelo, his through passes to Asensio. Um, on the left side, mm. always on. I was surprised that like, we just didn't... It seemed like there were a couple of things that like were working and I was surprised that we just didn't do more of. Uh, obviously, the crossing set pieces is kind of situational and you can't really control it. But anytime Real Madrid got the ball to Marcelo, him, great pass to either Isco or Asensio or like or Mariano making that run, it was always on. So there were like things that like, were brewing that I, I don't think the team was completely dead by any means. Mm. Um, no, no, not at any point. Not but any there point. have been games this season where... Like in this game, Asensio at least was involved. Yeah, Asensio has, like, lately has had a little bit of a dip, hasn't he? I think we can all see that. And I think that's probably inevitable when you're talking about young players. I think young, a part of a young player's growth is about developing that consistency and being able to deliver. Because we've seen Asensio throughout his career, right since he, he started, with these incredible goals and moments of magic. And what everyone's waiting for is for that next step when he starts delivering that with a degree of consistency and starts to dominate games rather than having these these moments and I mean I don't doubt that will come I don't think anyone doubts that will come but I just think it's part, it's, it's, it's always part of the development of a, of a young player to learn to find that consistency and yeah he's just had that, that little dip in, in, in the last few, few weeks or maybe a little bit longer yeah I think I, I think there's questions about sense, so I don't want to dig too deep oh, yeah. but um, but to your point about we know it's going to come back I think it will and I think maybe what he's done in the past especially in spurts like he seems to be a very momentum type player Two golazos against Croatia, golazos against Barcelona in the Supercopa. You know, it just 
um, that run last season when no one was scoring and he was scoring a free kick against Valencia and we just looked unstoppable. I think that in a way skews our expectations of him a little bit to yeah. uh, maybe an, un- an unfair level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's true. Um, and he's, he's young. Like, he, you know, let him deal with it and cope with it. Um, we have questions that have come in from Patreon, as we always do. Patreon.com slash ManagingMadrid is where you go to pledge. You can support the show um, and get guaranteed responses to your questions and get different awards based on your pledge. We cannot guarantee that you will like the responses that we give, but no. we will give you a response. Uh, we also uh, can't guarantee that Alex Kirkland will be on the podcast every time, but uh, unfortunately for you, you've, you've caught us at a time where fans are a bit angry. So, you- well, no, hey man, like I say, I understand. Everyone understands the anger. Everyone wants to see Real Madrid win, yeah. win games. So, no, I totally, I totally get it. We are, we are angry also, um, but you, um, I, I, we haven't really seen you or even Phil, for that matter, be that unchained in their thoughts. Well, I mean, look, you just bear, can't be. Yeah, bear but, in mind, because of our job, yeah. we are always diplomatic to a greater or lesser extent because we yeah. had to be. I'm sure everyone understands that. There or are, as there Phil are put that it, we, what did Phil say yesterday? Not diplomatic. Uh, use a different word. We're not diplomatic. Oh, I, he was a different word. But you guys have to be very, very careful with what you say. Yeah, look, we work yeah. for Real Madrid TV. Yeah. So, you know, be, you know yeah. bear, bear that in mind in everything yeah. that we that we say. That doesn't mean that we're not honest in what we say. I think I'm always honest in, yeah. in what I say. But what it does mean is that there are certain things that we we can't necessarily say or we can't talk about or we can't speculate about and I'm sure you guys get why that is. Decades from now when you write your book oh, the memoirs filled with stories of, of your true I, I mean a lot of my memoirs would just be my, my sort of Real Madrid Castilla commentaries <laughs> which I don't think anyone needs to needs to hear about but yeah. So first patron question is from Christopher McCormick. He says can you guys provide a reasonable explanation as to how Solari got his shit together this season? I'm stumped. Well, hey, look, I mean, I think if, you, if you've listened to any of our previous discussions, I've always been on the, the Solari train. You have been. I never got off that train. Yeah. You, I kept the faith. You're, you're, you're a rare breed in that I think my, um, look, I think my argument has, has always been that um, Segunda B is really hard. It's a really tough division. Managing Castilla is really hard. Every season, you basically have to construct a new, a new team every season. Blending like the young players who've come through from Juvenil, one or two new signings from outside, letting some players go, deciding which players to, to keep. So every season, it's basically a whole new project. Yeah. And I just think it's really, really tough. And Solari is a, is a relatively young coach. He's been learning on the job. He's come up through the ranks of the, of the Canteri. He's had a couple of years now in charge of Castilla. Um, last year you know, was, was a bit disappointing for everybody. This year, so far, I mean, we've had, what, nine? Today was match day nine. Uh, but it's going really well. Castilla is second in the in the table, just a couple of points off the off the top. And the objective, as, as everyone knows, is to get Castilla promoted back to the back to the Segunda. I think what I've always said is that um, speaking to people who know Solari and have spent time with Solari, he's a really intelligent, oh, he's charismatic amazing. He's guy. Amazing. Yeah, he's the amazing. way that he talks about the game. Yeah. He's the kind of guy you you sort of expected to be a manager, maybe coming yeah. from being a from being a player. Um, so in that sense, it, it doesn't surprise me. I'm really pleased that he's he's got it together. And Castilla this season looked good. And it's not just about um, sort of the magic of, of Vinicius. Of course, that helps. You've got players who are sort of in their sort of second season or more and have really come into their own. Someone like Cristo playing up front is is a very, very consistent player now. Some players in midfield like Seoane, who I who I really like. There's a really solid defence. I think the centre-back partnership of Javi Sanchez and yeah. um, De La Fuente are, are excellent. The full-backs are very, very good as well. That's of Sergio Lopez, who... Um, impressed with the first team as well in uh, in pre-season so yeah I think there's a whole bunch of reasons but like I say I've always thought that Solari 
ought to be a, a good coach, and I'm really glad that it, it, it looks like he's he, he is gonna he is gonna be one. At least the signs at the moment are very good. So when when you talk about also changes every year, we know that it's different every year. It's not even just like little tweaks. It's like almost wholesale. Yeah, you changes. have to build yeah. essentially a new team. Like yeah. I say, some players do stay on for a sure. for a second year. So you've got someone like um, Javi Sanchez was with Castilla last year. He's in his second year. He's the captain now. Uh, Christo was was there last season, and he's in his his second year now. But yeah, you, you pretty much have to build a new team every single yeah. season. That's something that's that's kind of unique about being a B team coach. It's not quite the same as being a coach of a of a regular club. Yeah, and uh, I mean, some of their best players last season, like Regulion. Yeah, um, yeah. Who's now with the first team squad? Quesada has gone. Oscar, Oscar wasn't. To, no, he, he wasn't quite great the with season that we expected him to have. But Looks he's good now with gone Leganes, to, to Leganes, and he's, yeah. he's doing really well. Um, so what, just watching Castilla throughout the entire entirety of Solari's tenure thus far, my feeling about this season, I, I have a couple. I think he's like you said, and I'm always impressed with him when I also hear him speak, um, because he, he his logic is always reasonable. And um, he's very well-spoken, and he's a likable character. This season, I think the, Vin- the Vinicius hype and the Vinicius hype train have won us points that I don't know if they win without him. Like, there was that crazy... I was at the game in Maharajonda against Atletico B. Yeah. And Real Madrid, it, was like, it was like watching a Real Madrid versus Atletico A-team game at the Bernabeu. Like, they had no answer for Atletico's defense. But Vinicius is brilliant twice. Mm. There are, there, I think, so he's won them some points for sure. Yeah. Um, I'll also say I think there's like this nice thing brewing up front with Cristo. Um, Franchu's looked good. Yeah, um, Alberto's good as well. Alberto's looked really good. Uh, and also, like you mentioned, uh, Sergio Lopez looks really great. Yeah, he's very, very I good. I think if there's one player who, if you had to like put a gun to my head and say which Castilla player makes in the future, I think Javi Sanchez is like really... Really good. He's one of those um, those centre backs who's got personality and plays with personality. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, it's not just that he's the captain. It's not just that he takes free kicks and penalties in a very in a very very in a very Sergio Ramos yeah. uh, sort of style. I mean, yeah, I think he's got something. Javi Sanchez. I've, I mean, I've I've watched him now for I guess for four or five. Yeah, it must be five years. Sort of coming through the coming through the ranks, mm. and yeah, he's always looked like one to one to watch. He sure. can pass too. Like he's good yeah. on the ball. Yeah. Um, next question is from Sajid Reyes. Sajid says, I would like to ask the smart asses calling for Lopetegui sacking. Oh, I, th- I thought for a second that he was, he was just going to say, I'd like to ask the smart asses referring to us. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, but he's I, not. Good. I don't think he knew you were going to be on the podcast, <laughs> so it's probably directed at me. <laughs> uh, I would like to ask the smart asses calling for Lopetegui sacking. What would you do differently after your star defender commits two schoolboy errors and takes you 2-0 down in the first 20 minutes of the match? With 34 shots on goal, 12 on target, 4 hitting the crossbar, 2 goals disallowed in a match where we put everything on the pitch, I actually felt proud of our, perform- of our performance yesterday. We actually put all of our blood, sweat and tears on the pitch and played really good football and created chances but nothing went in, unfortunately. Anisco, Marcelo, Bale, they are clearly still not match fit and as long as the players are willing to fight for this coach, unlike the case with Benitez, he shouldn't go anywhere. Let's face it, we are in a rut, everything that can go wrong is going wrong. And no new signings or no new coach is or, or no new coach is going to change that. We just need to dig deep, like Shanti says, and get ourselves out of this the hard way. No shortcuts. Um, yeah. So I think while all this is true, history tells us that there has to be one fall guy, 
and uh, it's easier to sack a coach than to sack a team. Well, I think, look, ultimately, I mean, in football in general, but especially at Real Madrid, it's about results, isn't it? And everyone accepts that. Everyone accepts that. The, the coach, the players, everyone. If I think you're right in general. Patience is a, is a virtue in football, and that it tends to be my, my sort of broad stance is to be patient rather than rushing into decisions. But it's a results business. And everyone knows that if Real Madrid keep losing games, like that can't be allowed to, to continue. That's, that's not me speaking out of turn. That's just the reality, that's reality that, yeah. Everyone, yeah. that everyone accepts. I think it's interesting to see, though, how things quickly can turn. Um, well, that's the other thing. It doesn't, it doesn't take much. Yeah. A, a win in a Clasico, which, and, and by the way... It, Without Messi. I, I, I don't... I, Messi has been terrifyingly good this season. I still think without him, they're still very good. And, and I mean, yeah. like, this goes back to also our, our maybe maybe I'm scarred from the, that day when he didn't play against us in the 4-0 at the Bernabeu 2015. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and also, you know, they still have a lot of great players and a lot of players in good form, like Coutinho, Rakitic, Dembele is playing well, Suarez is rounding into form. I... I think if, if Lopetegui gets a result in the Camp Nou, which is not inconceivable because Real Madrid historically play better in the Camp Nou than they do against Barcelona in the, in the Bernabeu. In the last few years, the results yeah. have been good, eh? And Bale, Benzema, these guys typically play well in the Camp Nou as well. Bale has his like almost annual disallowed goal for a phantom foul or, or offside or whatever it is. Um, if he gets a result there, I mean, I'd be interested to know how far removed this team is from the, from the 3-0 against Roma. Mind you, I think Roma were, wor- were you know, worse you, than people say. Like, I think they were bad that day. Yeah, but day, still, but Real Madrid were very, very, very good. good. Like, that yeah. was one of the best performances we've seen from any team all season. That's yeah. the thing. That now feels like a long way away, but it's, it's the same team, and it wasn't that long ago. That's what I mean about, about, about confidence and about teams going on a run. And when I say it doesn't take much, like, it, yeah, a win in the Classico, and then you start to build a bit of confidence again, and then the goals that... The goals start to go in when they've just been just been going wider. You've been hitting the post. Like I know, it's a bit of a cliche, but it is true. That is what football is like. We all we all know that. And then all of a sudden, you could be on a winning run. And the way La Liga is so far this season, there isn't a runaway leader like Real Madrid. Are still they're up lucky there. in that sense. Yeah, but I, I, it's they're lucky, but it's at the same time it's frustrating because like this is when everyone else is weak. You feel like that's the time that that's you the time capitalize. to pounce. That's yeah. the time to pounce. Um, but but lucky. Um, I. It's funny because those first few games against Getafe, um, I believe uh, Leganes was one of the early wins. Yeah. Um, Roma was the other one. It was so good. Like, not even, like, being biased, it was good. It was actually good. Like, not even just the results, but the eye test was good. Mm. And yeah, I, you could see the idea of yeah, what, it, it, of it what was the like, team were trying to do. And we thought it would take long to implement Lopetegui's idea and scheme, but... It was like, oh, from the first game, it, it looks promising. And I remember writing about how good it was, and maybe I was guilty of getting too excited about it. I don't know. But it actually legitimately looked good. The movement from Asensio off the ball was great. How Bale and Benzema stepped up looked great. Um, you know, Kroos looked incredible to start the season. And it was so amazing that it went from that to, like, I remember writing about the Sevilla game, the Bilbao game. It wasn't just the result that I was writing. I was like, where... Yeah. That stuff just wasn't there anymore. Yeah, early like, on it, it looked like the, the assumption that had been made, which was that Asensio would take a step up, that Gareth Bale could could remain injury-free yeah. and really become the leader of the team, that Karim Benzema, playing for himself and not for someone else, 
good good up his game in terms of the number of goals that he that he scored that the midfielders could chip in as well early on it looked like that was a reasonable assumption to yeah. to make and then of course in the last few games things have been a lot tougher Essa Hariri says, I see Benitez written all over J-Lo's tenure at Real. J-Lo was, I don't know if that's a manager Madrid thing. Is or... J-Lo a thing? For... Ah, <laughs> I think okay. it might be only a thing for us. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, okay. No, I, I, I get you. So, I, like, I like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't like it, but it is what it is. I see Benitez written all over J-Lo's tenure at Real Madrid. Uh, with such slacking from some Real Madrid players, I like to think that he should not be blamed much for what is happening. Uh, Modric is giving 20% of his potential. Uh, no more World Cup high bullshit excuses, please. Isco is still under anesthesia. I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> carry on, carry on. <laughs> this is this is our podcast. Uh, welcome to our very non non formal podcast. Asensio and Vasquez are useless. I'm really starting to be convinced that we need new blood in many positions in this team. What do you guys think? Why is everyone playing so carelessly? Did they have enough cups in their CV and not willing to give more? To go so to go back to Modric. I mean, I don't think that. The World Cup is a bullshit excuse. I think that you could you look at Luka Modric playing this season, and it is self-evident that he's he's not quite 100 percent because he's tired because he's had the summer of his life and he gave absolutely everything in the summer, and he's not quite there physically. Is yeah. he? I mean, that, and that's I'm sorry, that's not an excuse. That's that. Is, that's, that, that's just that's how it is. That's human like, physiology and, that, you know, and fatigue. I, I, yeah. We're not going to start. I'm sorry. We're not going to start doubting Luka Modric or his ability or his desire. Whatever happened in the in the summer, I mean, he's still the best midfielder in the in the world, and yeah, he hasn't been on on top form. But like I say, given the summer that he had, I think we all understand why. And uh, and, and it's also to me, it's not crazy to think that, like previous seasons, these elite players will just find their feet in the springtime too like you know I mean yeah so which players are we talking about getting rid of are we talking about getting rid of Isco are we talking about getting rid of Cross are we talking about getting rid of Asensio I mean no come on these, these guys every other team would kill for these kill for them yeah these kill for them. Look, I get it I understand I understand as as fans we, we we overreact and you I understand the temptation to to be like look let's let's get reds but, but I don't think that's that's not the answer these, these players are the envy of world football like Real Madrid's midfield is the envy of, of world football there's not a lot there that needs to be that needs to be changed I think in terms of personnel it's, it's our collective nature um, and and not like you and I but maybe as a fan base that whoever is not playing for us and is doing well in the world is someone we want and, yeah you know if if we had let's say I don't know um, X player in our team and Isco played for somebody else We'd be like, we need to sign Isco. Well, and also, like, be- because it's Real Madrid, yeah. it's a reasonable expectation that if they wanted that player, they could go and get him. And yeah. that's always been the case. Yeah. Um, I also think that another thing that's underrated in all this is that it's incredibly difficult to sustain winning over a long period of time. Yeah, not many teams yeah. manage to do it. Like, we have, like, a handful in the history of the sport. And this era of four and five Champions League is one of them. You go back to Di Stefano was another one. Yeah, um, yeah, the, you know, yeah Milan late eighties. Yeah, but I mean, even Milan late eighties was not on this level of of, his, of success. It just it's incredibly hard. And when you have the same core group of players, um, it can be difficult to sustain momentum, motivation. Um, but also in the specific case of Modric, at his age, went through a historically great World Cup run for himself and his. Yeah, his performance in the World Cup will go down as one of the greats of all time, like just over a course of a tournament. It, it's taxing. Um, Eric Rogers says, 
guys, I still can't seem to grasp the fact that we're dropping so many points. So many post shots, and Courtois appears to be uh, to have has lost all his swagger and confidence. I really do believe in all these guys, but a trusted Madridista of mine seems to think our problem rests with Perez and the board putting too much faith in Bale and Asensio primarily, among other things. He seems to believe that Marco isn't capable of being the player Madrid needs and may have already fulfilled his maximum potential despite being a great player. He is also ranted on to say that Bale just isn't up for it being the guy this season. We debated, but I'm more interested to hear what you guys think. I have nothing more to say about the game. I'm, I'm sure you guys will cover everything I could ask. Um, so please keep up the good work. Thanks for the question, Eric. So we talked about Asensio a little bit. I mean, yeah, look, I think that Marco Asensio is capable of being whatever he wants to be, pretty much. Like, I, I think Marco Asensio is going to be one of the best five players in the world. In but but in like five years' time, maybe he's on the way to getting there, but he's not there yet because, like you like you rightly said, he's he's young and he's still at a point where he can have these ups and downs in in terms of form. But I mean, I, I wouldn't swap Asensio for anybody. I mean, anybody? I, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If it means losing Asensio, no, I wouldn't lose Asensio for anybody. Can I test you with that? I mean, what you're going to say? Throw like some names at M- you? Mbappe or something? Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to lose Asensio for anybody. Okay. Um, if you and and also if we if we're patient with it, I think that's that is a correct take. And that's, uh, that's not me saying that Asensio right now is the best player in the no. world. Of course, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the player that what he's, he can he's be. Going to be. Um, if you asked us last summer, to me, there, this is be- before Dembele got injured and it took him a long time to kind of find his feet again. There were three players out of the young prospects that I was like, these three are going to be special. It was Asensio, Mbappe, and Dembele. And mm-hmm. I yeah. don't, I, we're not far removed from that. We're not far removed from him scoring two great goals against Croatia and everybody losing their minds over him. Yeah. It, it just, uh, if, you, if you think about what we asked Asensio to do this particular year, is essentially this. We're selling the greatest player in Real Madrid history, and that era is over. And by the way, you're going to be starting every game. And if Asensio, that's a lot. If he wasn't starting, mm-hmm. you know what everyone would be saying, right? Why, isn't, why, isn't, why isn't Asensio starting? Yeah. Why aren't we giving a chance to to this, you know, Spain's best young player? If he played every week, then he would he would develop a lot a lot faster. Yeah. Um, I I also think like we can he can, he is he has earned the right for us. You know, to expect some some more patience from us. Um, he's given us a lot. I think you know, given also what we paid for him, which was literally nothing, um, and how he blew our minds and has done so much for us over the couple of years. I think he's earned the right at his age also to just you know earn some patience from us. I think he'll be fine. Um, that's my feeling. I think that's your feeling. Um, Sad Omar says, "What must happen for Lopetegui to be fired at this point? Relegation." Uh, we couldn't be going into El Clasico in worse form. And I don't believe Lopetegui can turn this around. Does he stay if we lose that game? Do you think the chances of Real Madrid playing in the Europa League next season is higher or low? This, I, to me, there's a lot here. I don't want to talk about relegation or Europa League. I don't think that's going to happen. There is, there is no way, there is no way that Real Madrid will be playing in the Europa League next season. There is no way. Alex Kirkland exclusive. It's not. Oh, come on. You, you, don't, you don't see that as a serious no, I don't, I, I That's don't. not going to happen. I don't. I don't. Um, it is interesting to me, and this was a, a conversation I also um, had with Sid at the game. It was like, if it happens, like, the timing of it to happen now, if it does happen, means whoever the coach is, is like, hello, coach, here's the fire. Go to the camp now. Like, that is, it's a lot. 
on, on that one hand, maybe it's like, oh, you know what? Here's the camp. No one, no one expects you to win this game because we're in a crisis. Um, so no pressure. I, I, I honestly don't know. I, there's no past precedence for this particular situation if it happens. But I, mean, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add here. No, no, no. Okay. Leon Stavronakis says, if things don't turn around in the next week, should we go ahead and sell Luka Modric in January to kick the start the full rebuild? Can no. we answer this quickly? No. 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 Don't sell okay. Luka. Keep don't Luka. Luka. Keep Luka forever. Just don't let Luka Modric go anywhere. I, Modric in the past has also mentioned that he would be happy to take a back seat and be a mentor to someone like Kovacic. You know, if, if that alone is, like, is to me just worth it for his brain and his mentorship and his, like, just his maturity. But, I mean, he's still at a very good level. Yeah, and that's, you know, he's not there yet. I still want to see him. I mean, okay, we, like we said, he looks tired, but when he's 100%, I still want to see him playing week in, week out. Yeah. We have two more questions, and then you'll be out of your misery. Cool. Go for it. Um, Armin Gashi says, another game, another L. What the F is going on? What do you guys really think of Lopetegui and his playing style? I'm already fed up with this whole idea. I think he's lost it and really don't think he's going to handle the pressure and neither the big personalities in the dressing room. The playing style is looking like an out-of-date style of possession play, and it makes the players look like shit automatically. It's horrible to look at. A lot of crossbars. Da -da 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 -um. Um, Levante's a must-win game. Armin goes on to say, so this is mostly about the style of play. I don't know if... I mean, do you think that the idea of dominating possession is out of date? Like, I don't think it is. I think you can look at a whole bunch of big teams around Europe who look to dominate possession. Now, I understand there's a difference... What you don't want to see is that kind of sterile domination where you have a lot of the ball and you don't do anything with it. Right. But that's not the idea of this Real Madrid no. style. That's not what Lopetegui wants to do. Now, this Real Madrid team, they want to dominate possession, but they want to be uh, incisive and rapid with those quick transitions. That Now, it doesn't mean that they're always achieving it. Of course, in recent weeks, it's been it's been difficult. But I don't think that playing with the, the idea of looking to dominate possession is, is out of date at all. Of course, there are some teams who have adopted a, you know, a we don't want the ball kind of style, but not not the big teams. I mean, you look at the other big teams around around Europe, and most of them still want to still want to keep the ball. I mean, look at the Premier League, look at you know, look at City, look at Chelsea. These are teams that want to dominate possession. My honest feeling about this is that when it works, we like it. When it doesn't work, we don't like it. Um, I, I don't. If there were complaints, I didn't see them, but I didn't think there were any complaints at the beginning of the season when it was working. I don't. I think there are a lot of things that Lopetegui could be doing differently for the better. I don't. I don't hate the idea. Actually, in fact, I like the idea of keeping possession because to me, Real Madrid had a couple of weaknesses in the past few years, even despite all success. One was the defending counterattacks, which like you would basically ask Varane to be skinned alive and save everything. Which to me, there's like a testament to how great he is. Yeah, to be yeah, put with, through that with, and, with, with his pace, he yeah. mostly can. He yeah, can mostly deal with he it. He deals but. with it. Um, or, or ask Casemiro to do the things he does and kind of just to mask the holes. One way to obviously always like mask your defending is to just keep the ball so that you don't have to be put in that situation. The theory, to, the idea behind it makes sense to me. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, like one of like a, the trade of like, you know, like a tiki taka, quote unquote. I hate that word. Um, I think even Guardiola doesn't yeah. hates it, but well, especially the way that it's ended up being what it has ended up meaning, which, yeah. as I say, is that kind of um, sterile domination by possession, which is never that's never what Guardiola wanted either. That's, yeah. That wasn't what Spain were about in their no. in their heyday. No, um, but I mean, I think the idea behind what also accompanies possession football is the counter press and to win the ball high up the pitch. 
And also the idea, you know, there's like latent little details, like it earns you rest when you slow down the game. And, and you know, there's very strategic things. It's not always like doing nothing. Um, but I think what the problem is that, that Real Madrid just haven't been incisive enough with their possession. Um, they were very good against Roma in this, in this regard. But there have been games where um, it just hasn't been good. So I think if they can figure out a way to get the off-ball movement a bit better, the movement from players like Ceballos and Asensio and Bale and Benzema, if the movement can be a bit better, the offense can be a bit more incisive, the possession, the complaints about possession will just go away. Well, that's the other thing as well. If you, if you look at some of the players that Real Madrid have, and you've just mentioned a number of them, they're players that suit that style. Like someone like Danny Ceballos, yeah. he's a player that needs to be playing in that kind of style. You see whenever he's on the pitch how, how he wants the ball, he wants to touch the ball all the time. You know, the same goes for a player like Cross, the same goes for a player like, like Modric. You know, these are players, I think, that you couldn't necessarily ask to play. Uh, I mean, I don't even know what a Real Madrid side that didn't want possession would look like. Do you know what uh, I mean? I just think it's, I just think it's not a way that, that big clubs play, with the exception of maybe the Mourinho, uh, you know, United kind of model. But yeah. there's no one else, really. I think the best, the best I've seen it in the past, like, half a decade would be... Ancelotti against Bayern, for the 4 0 in Munich. Uh-huh, yeah, well, that, yeah. That, that, I mean, that was the most yeah. ruthless display of counter attacking football yeah. that we've ever seen. For yeah, but the, the counter to that also is that you can't do that against every team. Well, exactly. No one will let you do that. No, you can't do it against most teams, uh, in fact, especially when you're. Ironically, it's the big teams that will allow you to do it because yeah. they'll go at you a bit. But it's just, you know, it's, you, can't, you can't do that against Levante, Alaves, etc. Last question, as it's starting to get dark here in Plaza de España. Tyler Dixon says. Ramos is getting older. Varane is in our future. Nacho isn't a starter, and Vallejo has injury problems that could stop him from being a starter. In my opinion, we need to go for uh, Matias De Litt. He's young, outstanding talent with a heart uh, to be a club captain at 18. Not a question, more more of a statement. I mean, what everybody wants De Litt, don't they? I mean, he's been he's been linked with certainly with Barca on the front pages of the Catalan press pretty much every day for yeah. the last about six months. Uh, the big uh, English clubs as well. I think Bayern have been linked to him. So yeah, I think every big club in Europe is looking at looking at Delict. I mean, I still think that with Ramos, Varane, Nacho, Vallejo, I feel a bit for Vallejo with the injury yeah. issues that he's had, and we, we what we want to see is him staying injury free and being able to get some game time because he hasn't had that, and therefore he hasn't been able to develop. I mean, I still think that Vallejo is a massive is a massive talent and a great option as the fourth choice centre back to to learn from from the others but to do that he, yeah he needs to stay fit in theory he's in, he's perfect for this I mean like he's not going to demand much playing time he's talented I just like you I feel for his injuries like it can't and be easy and especially the kind of character he is like from what I've seen of him like he's quite a, although he's a he's also a leader you know he's been a captain he was a captain of what Zaragoza, Zaragoza when he was yeah. at, like when he was 17, 18 um, but he's quite a quiet serious kind of young man yeah you know he's not your typical footballer he's quite different to a lot of the other players good head on the shoulders um and that means that maybe he takes you can imagine him maybe taking a lot of these injury problems to heart yeah. a bit and finding it difficult so i really yeah. hope that he manages to to come out of it because like i say, i think there, there is a real player in there yeah as, as as do i um i also just like there's that famous clip from last season remember when ronaldo wasn't scoring goals he was frustrated and vallejo this like 20 year old kid is taking him aside in the tunnel he's like look don't worry the goals will come like i think I, I was just like, because um, I'm only saying this because I saw someone in Marca write saying that he's too shy for Real Madrid. And I just don't want people to mistake shyness for like con- lack of confidence or like maturity, you know. I, I think he has a really yeah, good Yeah, I, I think when they say shyness, what they mean is, like I say, he isn't necessarily a typical 
footballer. Like he no. seems to me. I remember watching his, pres- his like presentation. Ramos. It's just like a nice, quite a really yeah. nice, what, yeah. nice young man. Yeah. You know, quite sort of softly spoken and stuff like that. You're right. That that shouldn't be misinterpreted as as weakness because in fact he's always been a leader. Yeah. Um, Alex Kirkland, I've kept you for 50 minutes, actually more, because before this we were also speaking in the park. So I, I think I've abused your time quite enough. Um, but uh, at some point, you know, whether it's like once or twice a year, we'll yeah, do man, this, it's, right? it's, my, it's my pleasure. Yeah. We tend to get together in a in a park somewhere in Madrid at, at yeah. dusk, around about once a, once a year to talk about uh, <laughs> talk about Real Madrid. And it's so never let's, sketchy. Oh, let's keep that this, tradition going. I think I feel like this. Uh, park is less sketchy than the previous park. Yeah, the Parque Berlin can yeah. be a little bit sketchy. Though yeah. Parque España is is not sketchy. It's, it's lively, at least. Yeah. yeah. If something if something goes down, uh, there's probably a policeman uh, nearby. <laughs> um, Alex Kirkland of Real Madrid TV, also a producer of the great TSF podcast. Please check it out if you haven't already. Um, thank you very much for everything that you do, um, covering us with Castilla and producing those great podcasts. Appreciate all your work and thank you for joining us. Um, and it's my pleasure. Thank you. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Once upon a morning, there was a freshly brewed McCafe coffee. It was made with 100% Arabica beans, yet something was missing. Fear not. In the distance, a sausage McMuffin with egg rides toward the sunrise in quest for breakfast. The perfect pair met at McDonald's, and mornings were happy forever after. Right now, get $1 any size coffee and a $2 sausage McMuffin with egg off the $1-2-3 menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sports Social Podcast Network.